Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with the news. In local news, our studio was recently vandalized. Somebody broke in, carved Nadine will be my queen into the floor, and in much sloppier handwriting next to it, was written, Skarsgård makes my heart hard. If anybody has any information of who might... You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hello, constant readers. And today we are back with The Sit, our discussion of and reaction to the latest episode of The Stand. And Josh is leading our discussion. Yeah. So episode three, blank page. We all get to be together to watch it again. Yay. Yay. That's exciting. It's always so much better when we all three get to be together. Yeah. It just adds to it so much. extra nice when you test negative. For COVID-19. <laughs> it makes watching this show slightly less uh, existentially yeah. dreadful. <laughs> You'll get less of the uh, fear sweats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I heard you get less of the fierce wets. I don't know. That Speaking scene of, at the end yeah. with Nadine and Flag gave, me some, fierce gave me some fierce wets. Got, yeah. let, me, let me tell you. I'm not proud of any of us right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad we could all be fierce wets together. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah, so episode three, blank page. Very excited that we got, we got Nick Andros. Yay. Guys, we yeah. got way more Nick Andros. And we got way more Nadine than I was expecting. I was So I initially, with the formula we've been following, I was sure this episode was going to be Nick Andros and Trash Can Man. What did you guys think? What, what did you anticipate coming into this episode? Well, last episode we talked about how we thought we might get more of the characters we've already had to finish them out. So the only thing that really surprised me was that we didn't really get any more Rita. Yeah, she's gone now. (laughs) She died off screen. And Heather Graham deserves better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the problem with the original book of uh, the woman's death being used as motivation for the man's story. Mm -hmm. Not great, but uh, I don't know. I I mean, I think at the end of the last episode, I predicted that this was going to be Nadine's episode. If anything, I was... Just disappointed we didn't get more of Nadine and Larry Mm. and Mm. Joe meeting. Because we only get, like, one scene of Knife Joe. (laughs) Yeah! And I was really excited for Knife Joe. It's what we've all been missing is Knife Joe. What about you, Josh? This is definitely not what I expected for our third episode. And I also expected to be way more Nick Andros background. Because the other two characters that have come in have had really their full episode has gotten more into their backstory. Mm-hmm. Nick, man, I I understand why they're condensing Nick's story mm-hmm. because as a deaf mute character, there's so much in his story that is only as good as it is because it's from Nick's perspective. This him getting knocked out 
oh my god, by a guy who has fuck tattooed on his knuckles, <laughs> but with a clever shoehorn making the U. Yeah, see, that's that was my question: is does he have U tattooed on that finger, or is just if he's not wearing the ring, it just says F C K? He's the kind of guy. There's no U under that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's uh, his story is very truncated we're already on episode three out of ten mm-hmm. there's so many goddamn characters in this show and book obviously we can't have every character get an entire episode absolutely so everyone's gonna start getting condensed but i think other than missing the story with the sheriff the the sheriff that takes Nick in is completely cut. Yeah. Him wandering alone and uh, his quest for penicillin because of like the being sick yeah. with the infection is cut. He just loses an eye. We haven't met what's her name yet. Julie Lowry. Yeah, Julie yeah. Lowry. She's got to be coming soon. <laughs> so yeah, we're missing a lot of stuff, but I like the way they're portraying him as Abigail's right-hand man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she, the, the mouth, the voice of the voice of God. Which is <laughs> hilarious. I just, and, and it's so simple. It's, you're going to be my voice. If talk to Nick, it's like you're talking to me. Because Abigail is already pretty much bedridden at this point. What did you guys think of the, the dream where Nick talks to Flag? That was really cool. When So he is getting beat up by this asshole in the bar. And all of a sudden he's in that that desert scene that we described before and flag is there and he's at a card table and he's doing these cool sleight of hand things with the cards, which was just so, so neat. And he tempts Nick. He's like, hey, you, I want you to be my right hand man. You can hear. I'll make you be able to talk and you'll be able to see. And Nick's like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be able to what? What's wrong with my eyes? And flags like. Uh, if you don't join me, you're gonna find yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, you'll see. I I want that deck of cards that he's using. Uh-huh. They're so yeah. cool. The, the suits are like rats, wolves, crows, and his little like eye rock yeah. symbol. But the way the the storytelling of like he's talking about his mother and how he ended up deaf and lays down a queen with her hand over her mouth. Yeah. And when he says, your eyes must be everything to a man who can't hear or talk. And Nick signs, what's wrong with my eyes? He says, you'll see. And he plays a king mm-hmm. with a hand over yeah. a bloody eye. And then he wakes up to being in an eye patch. It's, it was a really neat sequence. <laughs> it was, it was great. I mean, and it makes sense to try to recruit Nick. Especially because now with this version of Nick, there's uh, there's something grittier about him. Yeah. And it's not just the eye patch. It's the <laughs> fact that he's not Rob Lowe. <laughs> he's not Rob Lowe. And the fact that his that scene with him and Abigail in the book, it happens. It's much more, at least how I read it, it was very passive mm-hmm. of the I don't believe in God. He believes in you. It was uh, it was just kind of flat the way it's portrayed in the series he's pretty aggressive about the world not caring what he had to offer at any point mm-hmm. and like why should he do anything it doesn't do any good he's got like, some beef yeah and i feel like that edge is 
great for that character. Yeah, and he the the actor, I don't know who the actor is, but he looks the part. He looks rough, like he's lived a rough life. Yeah. He looks kind of beaten down. And I, I love the way that even though he's like, I don't believe in God, the way they show that he is obviously meant to be a good person, that in the dream with Flag, Flag tells him, you can speak. I, I gave you a voice, but he signs through the mm-hmm. whole scene. Mm. And then when he comes to Abigail, she says, you can talk here. And he does. Yeah. And I thought that was like such a cool little like, I don't believe in God, but here is a safe place. And it, it was subtle, which yeah. this show has a lot of those moments. They're not beating us over the head mm-hmm. really with anything. It felt to me like Nick talking just too early. It feels too early to hear him talk because I feel like the payoff is the the Tom Cullen dream at the mm-hmm. end, uh, like hearing him speak in, yeah. in that dream. Like that's the big thing for that character. Yeah. And I feel like I had the same problem with the original miniseries. I feel like they, if I remember right, I said something to the effect of Nick's talking felt unearned. That would and be I'm cool. Kind of getting this. Yeah, if they if they had saved it because we do. It's interesting to parallel those promises between you know good and bad Mm -hmm. too like i i would also buy mother abigail not making promises like oh you can talk here and you can hear and everything and just meeting him where he's at on his she also said just gave him permission to talk whereas flag said i'll give you a voice she was just like go for it (laughs) and i think that's part of it too is nick is being shown to be somebody who Uh, Doesn't like being told what to do because he's had to do that probably his entire life. Would you just like constantly be popping sleeping pills after this, though? (laughs) I can I can see here and talk when I'm asleep. All right. (laughs) Honestly, I don't think he cares about talking. Yeah, he doesn't seem like he does. Yeah, I don't think it's important to him. I get that. Then nobody can bother you. He's like, sorry, I can't can't talk or hear you. (laughs) Right. And we got the introduction of Tom Cullen. How'd you guys feel about Tom Cullen? I actually love that he has this speech memorized where he's explaining, you know, hi, my name is Tom. I'm 42 years old. I am disabled. Developmentally disabled. Yes. And I don't always understand social cues. So if I make you uncomfortable, basically, like, tell me and I will fix it. It felt more like he was a real person. I felt that it was very humanizing. Tom Cullen in the original a miniseries is basically a big, goofy cartoon. Yeah. Um, he's played very broadly. And here, I mean, it's still broad, but I, as someone who has worked with a large number of people with disabilities, it is very, I felt, pretty respectful mm-hmm. playing him as a person. Although... I could do without the all of the laws, yes. <laughs> That's just when a little such, laws overboard. It's just the the whole king catchphrase thing. Sure. Uh more than the, the <laughs> character. I I don't know. I I loved it because it made me feel like it was Tom more yeah. than more than him being developmentally disabled i felt like the laws yes and (laughs) whatever anything spells moon (laughs) laws yes it's oh i always read it as a part of an accent though he should have some sort of thick 
southern accent if he's yeah. saying laws yes and he the, the actor <laughs> has no accent he just decides to say lords yes as laws and well he can't read ben yeah, that's true. <laughs> what? Somebody, somebody he, he that's learned behavior. Yeah. So somebody must have said So it. he couldn't develop an accent? I don't <laughs> think that's how that works he at mis- all. He misread the word because he can't quite read it. <laughs> um, yeah, Tom Cullen I liked, but I want to talk to Josh about the introduction of his favorite character in the whole Holy series. Holy shit, man. <laughs> I like Glenn Bateman right now. Is your spirit healed? <laughs> I I feel kind of betrayed actually. <laughs> um because I I felt like I don't know a lot, but I know I hate Glenn Bateman. <laughs> and then first of all, Greg Kinnear, who's just endearing as yeah. all hell. You can't not like a Greg Kinnear. The, the second I found out he was cast, I was like, god damn it. Like this is going to be tough. <laughs> But the the introduction, as, as we're sitting there, Ben's like, are we going to meet Josh's favorite character? And then Kojak came running up. And I'm like, hell yeah, Big Steve. <laughs> but uh, I pray to God there's a Big Steve episode. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That's the finale. Yeah, he needs a whole arc. The finale is the Big Steve episode. <laughs> about Big Steve actually saved the day. It, it's it's great. Uh, the uh, The awkward coming out with all of his painting stuff. The only thing I was missing when they show that painting, I was really hoping they'd have a really shitty dog in the corner of it <laughs> yeah. to like as an Easter egg to that moment. But he's super friendly, mm-hmm. super engaging, and invites Stu back to his house. And they get drunk, and Glenn Bateman gets high as balls. <laughs> and all he's all of that like dialogue is pretty much what's word in the book. Word. Yeah. yeah, especially the "give me one person, give me two mm-hmm. person," all that stuff. And the difference of having that come out of a stoned professor (laughs) versus the dry academic delivery of every other iteration of Glenn Bateman. I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. The book, the original miniseries, he's just like a pedantic old man. And having it out of a stoned Greg Kinnear, you're like... Yeah, I had this professor in college. <laughs> he, he's like, he's, I, I've smoked with this guy. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. He's so cool that you kind of want him to be your dad, but you know he's too cool to be your dad. <laughs> he's so cool that he pulls off a Hawaiian shirt. He d- yes, yes, he does. So the, the moment that he's delivering that speech and, and all high and all that, the first thing I thought of, I actually kind of checked out of the episode for a minute because I, my brain started going back to every Glenn Bateman moment from the book mm-hmm. that I was like, oh my God, just fucking get through this. I don't want to hear this speech anymore. And then was like, in this delivery, I'd watch the scene of him and Stu just sitting out in, yeah. in the rocks. Shooting the shit. Shooting yeah. the shit for uh, 25 to 50 pages about government. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. It's uh, how we're supposed to feel. Yeah. Oh, that's depressing. (laughs) (laughs) If only Stephen King had had the foresight to be like, oh, also, Glenn's high all the time. (laughs) I would have been on board from the start. I'm also going to have to retool my theory about how Glenn Bateman was actually the true villain the entire time. Yeah. So that that is not going to hold water this time, I think. (laughs) And I like that they have the discussion that they both lost loved ones pre-Captain Trips. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just makes more sense 
that Stu and Glenn are such good friends. Yeah. Because it never really made sense to me, really. Other than they were just, like, the first people who met each other. Mm -hmm. And so they have that bond. Otherwise, they had so little in common. But just watching James Marsden and Greg Kinnear hang out, I'm like, (laughs) I want to hang out with them. I don't even want to hang out with them. I just want to watch them hang out with each other. Because I feel like my presence would ruin it. (laughs) Get Stu and Glenn a podcast. (laughs) Uh, There's another thing that I, man, and I I never thought I'd say this. Something really exciting to make Glenn more important to the story. His paintings. Yes. That is such a cool, because Glenn is effectively useless. <laughs> um, going back to the book and original miniseries, his his whole point is to spew dialogue that may or may not matter. Like, that's, <laughs> that's Glenn Bateman. But this, they show his paintings, and he's painted Mother Abigail, he's painted Fran, and I'm wondering if this is going to be something we're going to get more of, of him kind of big dreaming prophetic things and painting them. So I wonder if we're going to get some cool uh, foreshadowing through all that. That would be the biggest change that this is made from the source material. And I like it. It fits. It's just a good storytelling device device. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like everybody brings something different to the table Mm -hmm. and Glenn didn't really have that except for his knowledge of how to create society. This gives him a little bit more to to bring to the table as part of uh, Mother Abigail's chosen team. Yeah. Can we talk just real quick about Stu meeting Harold and Franny? Because yeah. that he he meets them first briefly, and he, I thought when when we saw him approaching, because we saw him in silhouette, so we didn't know it was Stu, that this was going to be like that that horrible biker rape gang thing, mm-hmm. and they were just introducing that and then maybe Stu is going to come in and help him. But it was just him and he's like, "Hey, everything's cool. I'm I'm Stu Redman. How are you?" And immediately, of course, Harold is put off, but the guy playing him does such an amazing job cuz Franny's trying to be a, a little more uh, sociable and and polite and friendly. And he's like, "You know what? You can either stay with me, the guy who has saved your life and helped you through all of this, or you can go with this guy who Maybe this a serial happy killer asshole. with dimples. <laughs> we'll go with his dimples. <laughs> and it was just, was uh, it was really cool. So they part ways. And then that's that's how Stu meets Glenn. I thought it was interesting that they part ways right yeah. there too. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how everyone's journey west. Yeah, uh, brings them back together. Brings them back together. Here's a scene I want to talk about uh, with you guys. The Crucified Man. Yeah. There is a scene with, uh, this is in, quote, the present. Mm-hmm. They're in Boulder. And it's Stu and Larry yeah. walking down the road. They've been hunting. And a yellow Lamborghini drives by and stops. And one side is splashed with blood. And the door opens and a dude Falls out bloody with no pants on. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God. From Vegas. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he has a Vegas uh, key ring. Mm-hmm. So they, they know that he came from Vegas uh, or had a vacation <laughs> in Las Vegas at any time in his life. When this first happened, my first thought that this was going to be the scene where Stu has to try to perform surgery. 
Oh. oh. Uh, which, in retrospect, that. would not make sense. Because <laughs> we have already seen in this episode Fran being taken right. care of, getting an ultrasound. We know there are doctors. They have a doctor. Um, no, guys, I got this. <laughs> there's no time. <laughs> uh, but that's not what this is. No, not at all. It is, and I kind of thought it was going to be a trick, like a plant or something that mm-hmm. Flag was sending someone, kind of the way that Boulder eventually sends someone to, a couple people to Las Vegas. But it's it's this guy that they bring in and they they bandage him up and they're talking about how he's been crucified. He has, you know, and it's done correctly. It's between the bones and stuff. It's in the wrist, yes. not the palm. And it is pretty gruesome. Mother Abigail comes in the midst of this debate between our our main characters. They're trying to decide if they tell people what's happening or if they just let whatever rumors happen, happen. Like, mm-hmm. what's going to cause yeah. the most damage, basically? And let's do the opposite of that. And I like the, the Glenn stuff of being like, we we aren't even elect. We need to be elected, yeah. damn it. <laughs> and then Mother Abigail shows up. And I love Whoopi Goldberg's just this cranky old lady who's like, just <laughs> get me where I need to go and shut up. She's I'm turning around <laughs> on uh, Whoopi Goldberg's Mother oh, Abigail. Yeah, she's, she's very brilliant. good. But she talks to to this guy and he says i have a message and he explains that he was in vegas and at first it was really cool and the flag was really cool and then he you know just got shitty and well it's a little more <laughs> but, than that yeah, but... got shitty meaning got slaves <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah you really downplayed the the Final breaking moment for Vegas. Yeah, he explains that he was cool with everything, and then Flag brought in slaves, and he was starting to get uncomfortable. And of course, we know Flag probably sensed that this guy was turning, and so he decided to make an example out of him and send him with a message to Mother Abigail. And the message, <laughs> I love that we all thought the exact same thing, because he starts flipping out, he's convulsing, his wrists are bleeding again, like the wounds are reopening, and he has a vision of dozens of crows hitting the yo, side of the hospital, so cool. like in the fucking dark half. That well, was awesome. I thought they were. And then a second later, they're gone. There's no cracks yeah, or blood. It's like, yeah. oh, that was in his head. Because as soon as the be as soon as it breaks through the window, then his eyes go black. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And and then he just explodes on the bed into <laughs> just blood and gore everywhere. Except he doesn't, but we we're all like did you guys think he was going to explode? Or like, yeah. The way he was shaking, the, uh, there was either he had to explode or explode. Those were the only two options. And I don't even remember what the message was. Because <laughs> the message was, was so absorbed. Literally just, he already told, because when he rolls out of the car, he just says, "I he's coming. Uh, which is like, yeah, okay, that's the message. But no, the message actually is, he he's coming. For you, and what? then, and then, well, and then, flag takes over his body, oh, yeah. grabs Mother Abigail, and is like, "I already have your blood in my hands." Is this like the best telegram service ever? <laughs> you you won't get misquoted. That's true. If you just possess, <laughs> you just possess your messenger, <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I don't know if you guys caught this, but this is in the same scene a little earlier, and I I hope that they're setting this up because it was very subtle, like we said. When Abigail comes in, there are the the five, our five governing uh, characters are in the room arguing about whether they should even be governing. 
and how Abigail is, you know, running the whole show and there's got to be a better way. And Abigail shows up and she's like, hey, listen up. You talk to Nick. Nick talks to me. The end. (laughs) And she starts walking into the room with this guy and she says, what does she say? But she says something along the lines of, I have a plan. I am doing this for she does not mention God. She does not say this. We are doing this because it is God's plan. Proud. Nick Mm. mentions that it's God's plan. But Abigail just mentions that she is leading. Oh. I think they have to. Yeah, I feel like this is definitely setting up Mm -hmm. uh, Abigail's wander into the wilderness. What I'm hoping is that the very end of it, instead of it being that, like, you know, white light hand of God thing, that she physically will have, like, a final part of the end. The the clouds break and Mother Abigail through the sky like Sephiroth with, her cane, with a cane twice her body length drops and pierces no, through Flag's heart. I don't that's want what cheesy. You want. Okay, fine. Yep. <laughs> yep, you heard it here. That's my prediction. Damn it. <laughs> no, what, what do you, what do you, exactly do you mean by that? I, I guess I just mean that it's more of a physical thing. Like her journey isn't just to go get lost in the woods and dehydrated and then die. Mm-hmm. Like, she shows up in Vegas. Like, uh, in that final confrontation, like, the way Flag appears before people, maybe she appears as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, very more of an active role. Very Star Wars. <sighs> very Blue Ghost. I, I don't mean that disparaging. Oh, sorry. You said Star Wars, not Star Trek. And I was just like, no. <laughs> oh, God. We could probably make this a very uh, Star Trek thing. This is sure. this is a different podcast. <laughs> it is. All right. Um. <laughs> So what is there anything else we missed? Yeah, uh, let's talk about Nadine a little bit. Oh, right, uh, of course. Because this episode really bookends around Nadine's mm-hmm. story. We see her, the planchetta cheese board. No. Uh, nope. It- uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the planchette, not Ouija board. That's a ghost writing mm-hmm. thing. And she... As a flashback it's when a she's flashback, a kid. Yeah. yeah. Like we kind of suspected last episode. Mm-hmm. And it shows the flag a carving Nadine will be my queen into the floor <laughs> while these four girls scream at the top of their lungs. Which was, I, I really liked, but was also a really funny visual. <laughs> yes. Because, like, the idea of it's automatic writing and it writes Nadine across the paper, but then flips out and, like, literally starts carving into the floor but also there are just these four preteen girls just like flailing around <laughs> off of this planchette. Yeah, because they can't let go. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. That was pretty great. I do like the one girl's like, if this is you, I'm gonna beat your ass. Yeah, she's like, I'll cut you, bitch. <laughs> yeah, okay. So here was another thing. Where work because in the book it was like college. boarding. College, yeah. Oh, yeah, college. college. This looks like a girl's home, like maybe well, Nadine yeah. was in foster care or something. Or yeah. like, yeah, uh, uh like Juvie, which is Interest. Yeah. Before we continue on to more of Nadine, I want to ask you guys this question. It may seem really stupid and it might not go anywhere, but it is something that has been talked about on the internet a lot about Nadine. Nadine's hair. What's wrong with it? How is it going to turn white? Because it's too blonde? Yeah, that the part of the people are very upset that Nadine's arc of having black to white hair (laughs) is not happening. Well, 
I mean, there's still a difference between blonde hair and white sure. hair. Sure. My question, <laughs> uh, because, well, my, my thing is, if that is going to happen in the scenes we saw of her in this episode where she's, like, getting ready to go check out the school and all that stuff, we should see some, like, she should be seeing some white streaks and stuff by now. And we haven't gotten any of that. So I wonder, is it even going to happen? I... Also, is it important if it happens? No. No. And... <laughs> My recollection was that that happened at when she had that big confrontation with him out uh, around bomb time. Well, it steadily through the I course. I don't remember that at all. Uh, it starts, she starts getting white hairs every time she doesn't have sex or wants to have sex with Larry. If I recall. Larry? <laughs> yeah. When they're, when Nadine and Larry are traveling. It's that far back? Yeah. I oh, did not remember I feel like that. every time she wants to have sex with them and then doesn't, she sees more white What hairs. a dumb superpower. <laughs> <laughs> not a superpower, I would argue. <laughs> yeah, th- that is such one of those fucking internet fanboy things <laughs> of like such a pointless, stupid thing to get mad about. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Which speaks to how great the show is because it's like, what can I get mad about? Nothing. Oh, wait. Yeah, Except this yeah. dumb thing oh, that wait. doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, so we we jump a little bit through Nadine's timeline, but uh, we, we get knife-wielding Joe, which yeah. is great. Uh, and then we get this great scene in the stadium of Larry playing Baby Can You Dig Your Man. So we finally got to hear it. It is so... It, it is way cooler, more impactful to see this little kid, rather than reading about it, pick up the guitar like he's been playing his whole life yeah. and play it perfectly. It was neat. And then he, I love that Larry's going to show him something else and he like freaks out. He's like, it's yeah. okay, man. And then he just walks off He just takes guitar. it. I, I, I love Joe. Yeah. Joe's, Joe is killing it. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's, I'm, I'm almost glad they didn't do Joe in the miniseries so that we didn't have anything to compare it to because yeah. I think what we're getting here is just this little ideal. kid is was Joe doing... not in the miniseries? No, not at all. No, they cut him out. Mm-hmm. Oh. But he's the the actor, the little kid is doing a great job because he's conveying a lot of suspicion and mistrust, but I I, I call it hesitant suspicion and yeah. mistrust like of Nadine. Like he can tell bad things are happening. He's very mistrustful of Harold and then he's he's seeing something change in her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she he walks in on her oh, God. fucking <laughs> seconds away from finger blasting herself. <laughs> Do we? Can, I can we somehow retroactively make it a rule never to say <laughs> finger blasting on this podcast? <laughs> uh, uh, those in favor? <laughs> oh come on! <laughs> well, we should talk about why she's. Let's just leave that hanging. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fine. Uh, no, a new edition of Boner Talks. <laughs> Lady Boner Talks. Oh, you know what? I'm on board now. Yeah, okay. You won me over. All right. Well, Sam, you're leading this episode of Boner Talks. Yeah, man. She's having a, a wet dream about flag, and who wouldn't? <laughs> Are you sure you want me to lead this? <laughs> no, I take it back. So we see her in present time taking, they have that, the planchette board that we spotted last episode. She puts her hands on it and goes to the desert and they have a very sexy interaction. It is very erotic. That scene, they do a good job. I was like leading up to it. I was like, how horny (laughs) is this show? (laughs) And I forgot that it's a show on the internet and not uh, a network television. So 
pretty horny. horny. Yeah. <laughs> Nadine is uh, actively pre-orgasmic. She's writhing in place. Yes. <laughs> <Ben>. <laughs> and Flag, what I what I like about this is she is getting so much pleasure out of this, and Flag's just super casual. Yeah. Just walking around her, talking to her, and she's just she wants to come to him. That's all she yeah, wants. Crazy. <laughs> she she wants to go to Vegas. She wants to go to there. She wants, yes, she wants to go to there. And I love, they get as close as you can kiss without kissing. Oh, that's so sexy. It really is. And he pulls away and all the while saying that in order for her to be allowed to make her way to Vegas, she has to kill Mother Abigail and all of her her lieutenants, basically. She doesn't seem that put off by it either. She's kind of like, there's like a brief moment where she's like, well, that was unexpected. Then she's like, okay, but uh, what? <laughs> yeah, there, she is much less hesitant. Like in the mm-hmm. book, there is the, the push and pull yeah. of like, she wants to be, she knows that she could be with Larry if she made the choice but the draw is just too powerful you know not so much here but she's with flag here i don't think she would have that at all because she does there are looks that she exchanges with larry Mm -hmm. and looks she gives to joe that i think could convey that but i can't imagine when she's like in his presence either physically or just um in a vision that she would have any of that stuff yeah. I think that's more realistic for yeah. it for it to be stronger when she's with him there. Fair. Also, point of order, how many great decisions have you made just pre-orgasm? <laughs> you, <laughs> that's true. You'll agree to just about anything. <laughs> Later I'm going to ask Devin, uh, I need you to kill five people. <laughs> this, this scene. But not during anything, just Oh, just, just casually, yeah. Um, when he tells her that uh she has to kill them she she's like what how uh and he says don't worry i've found the weapon all you have to do is pull his trigger and i said gross Gross. out loud (laughs) i i I literally just almost made a a (laughs) motion as as he said that i it's it's so bad i we hated it in the book we hated it in the original series harold is a kid but it does make the stakes higher because it's just so wrong on so many levels. And of course, when she comes to, Harold Lauder is written on the on the paper. Yeah, she. I thought it was cool how she came to though, because Flags like acting like he's gonna get up in it, and then he's like the kid, and he kind of pushes her away, and she she wakes up and Joe's standing there. That was pretty rad. And then she's like, I get. It's a game. It's a game adults play. <laughs> I'll teach. I'll teach you someday. Go, go to bed. T- Don't worry. The board game wasn't hurting mommy. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode where we will be covering the next episode of The Stand. For Joshua Khan and Benjamin Graham, this is Sam Alexander reminding you: up and running is what got us here. I say we try down and standing still. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Sit, Episode 3. As always, if you aren't already, please follow us on social media at Dairy Public Radio 
or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And we hope you enjoy this outtake. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, this is Sam Alexander reminding you, how long has Flag been at this? (laughs) 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 Sorry. That really fucking gotcha. (laughs) Reminding you. How long has been flag been at this? Good night. Uh, just because it's at, at the at bottom. This, <laughs> at this finger blasting in the desert. <laughs> okay, let me read. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>